0: Big one, welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marian Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello, and a big one, welcome to you. This is Marian Rose, and I'm Lael Stone. And today we're talking about babies part two. So given that we've been doing the podcast for quite a long time now, we thought we would go back to some of the topics that we've explored before and talk more about them. And there may be some overlaps between what we said before, but... When we talk, we always talk about new things and it all comes out in different ways. So we thought it'd be a lovely opportunity, both for those of you who have maybe already listened to part one or those of you who are new to the podcast.
1: Yes, and we've had lots of new people come on board or followers recently, so we thought because it does all start with little bubbers, why don't we start there and, um, and revisit a little bit around some of the philosophies around aware parenting and our experiences and hopefully some gems in there for people to listen to. So it's nice to be back at the beginning of 2021. <laughs> 2020 was such a very interesting year. So it's nice to be back and back fresh and, you know, inspired again oh that's how I'm feeling what about you Marion I am I am I'm curious about what 2021 has in whole uh, has in store for us aren't you mm. <laughs> yes yes yeah, yeah. I'm just so like to- yeah. gonna say I'm putting out my energy it's gonna be a year of flow and greatness and all the things that's where I'm going from no matter what happens I'm open for that yay mm. I love that and I would love to also welcome
0: anyone and everyone who's listening live time so if you are in January 2021 whilst you're listening welcome back sending you love however your festive season was uh if you're if you're in Australian you might be in the holiday mode still if you're in other places in the world so much going on isn't there everyone experiencing so many different things so sending as always the basis and foundation of our work and where parenting really is about compassion and empathy and connection so we're both sending you so much love to start Mm, with
1: yes yes so I think it's apt that we're starting a new year we'll start right with babies again because where parenting you know can well, it's it's not just for parenting. It's we're living really on many levels. We often talk about this, these the philosophies or the elements of listening and compassion and holding space and all the gorgeous stuff. It's not just with our babies or our toddlers or our school kids or our teens. It's with our partners as well. It's with our friends. It it you know, it it, it traverses all elements of being in relationship, I think. So it feels nice to start back with our babies again.
0: Yes. Mm. And I was thinking too, even if you're, if you have a child or children who are not babies anymore, it can also be helpful to actually understand what aware parenting, how aware parenting sees babies really, because sometimes we can actually, when we revisit the way we perceived what was going on, and we can sometimes then understand things in a different way, which have an impact in the here and now. That mm. didn't come out very clearly. In no. fact, I wondered if you wanted to say something about that, like because we were gonna you were gonna talk about coming to aware parenting a little bit later. When you when you looked back on mm. your first two children's mm. when they were babies and you understood mm. things was that what, what happened was it when you did you go oh that was what was going oh, on or yes. did you things like that, that happened. completely
1: I mean you can go back and listen to our stories right at the beginning but for those yeah look I didn't come to a parenting to my oldest son was seven nearly eight and um and my middle daughter was four and so I came to a parenting when my beautiful third child was a bubba mainly because we'd had a huge traumatic experience and I was looking for something to help her body and to help me heal and that's when I came across uh, across Aletha Salter's book The Way Baby and literally reading that book was like oh my god this makes sense about everything (laughs) from how I was responding to my kids why my children were behaving the way they did and you know I my first two babies you know I was really I guess an attachment parent so I used to wear them on my body lots and breastfeed lots and co-sleep and all the gorgeous, beautiful stuff, but they were pretty unsettled babies. They didn't sleep very much at all. They breastfed constantly. <laughs> They were really fat, chubby babies. Um, and I spent most of my time trying to keep them happy or content. And um, it was exhausting. And really, I was a pretty burnt out mum because, you know, I think my belief system was I just have to keep them content and happy all the time. So the way I did that was just feeding them all the time or jigging them or moving them or just all sorts of stuff. And we'll talk a little bit about what the other option is with aware parenting. But then when I came to my third baby, and i read that book and i started you know working with just listening to her feelings and being able to tune into her a little bit more around where she was at god the difference was incredible she slept way better than the other two she actually in essence probably cried less than what they did because they were constantly i think looking for a way my older two to move some of the pent up feelings that were inside so it was a completely different experience and my i think my attunement to her was so deep and so f- finely tuned because of what we had you know worked through you know not only just from the trauma perspective but just through you know listening to her feelings and it was extraordinary and there was not one part of me that didn't go wow I really get this and understand how powerful and beautiful it can be and and could really see the contrast of not having done that with my older two and and then doing it with my little bubba. so it was you know it was I'm really grateful for both experiences that I had. Mm. and I love what you really show as well is
0: what you know it's never too late to start I always share the story about you starting when your son was seven and you know how amazing he is as he as a young man now and the relationship the two of you have and and your middle daughter as well so I think it's holding both of that isn't it like that deep Mm. trust that we so often talk about that it is never too late and that we can reflect back and understand things in different ways and if we do want to start when uh when babies are babies, that that is also an option too if, if we really feel Absolutely.
1: that cool. and, and I look back and, you know, when we're going to talk a little bit about what that might look like with babies in a minute, so I look back probably to 25-year-old Lale who had her first baby who probably on some level wasn't capable of even you know listening to her bubba or to using I guess some of these philosophies mainly because I think not just because I was young but I didn't have the support I didn't really have the guidance around me I didn't really have any mama mentors around me I was the first of all my friends having a baby and I think I was just so spun out with the whole transition into motherhood and that shock of what it was I don't think I necessarily would have been capable of of um, moving into this. So I do see the perfect timing of when I came to it and the gift that's been in my life. And, and exactly as you say, you know, that is never too late to heal and, and that there is just, you know, wherever we are and wherever we come to it, whenever we start listening to feelings and tuning in is perfect. Every, every opportunity that we bring, whatever day it is, is a gift, you know, to our, to relationship. So yeah, I really do trust that yeah and I think that's the thing isn't it having compassion and I know lots of people too
0: who come across these ideas when their baby is a baby but they either uh, like want to throw the book across the room or just go I resonate but I'm just not gonna I, I, don't, I don't have the capacity to do that so I think it's really if you can holding compassion for yourself when however you feel around this and to be aware that it's really normal and natural to have big reactions or well, big or small feelings when you hear this kind of information because it is it's very new and most of us as babies didn't not only didn't get our feelings listened to but may have had some kind of experience of being left alone whilst we cried or you know all kinds of things that happened to us as babies that can also show up when we think about uh, babies actually having feelings to be expressed not only mm. feelings that are indicating needs mm. so I would also like to preface this that you know you're talking about beautiful um, attachment needs a baby so really holding in mind that aware parenting is a form of attachment parenting so it really always talks about doing whatever we can to meet a baby's needs for closeness for you know attuned prompt responsiveness um, as much as possible, you know, carrying them. And again, that's going to be different for every person and how resourced they are. But if you do love uh, baby wearing or co-sleeping, those are really, uh, you know, this is all part of that philosophy. But also there are many ways of practising aware parenting with babies. I know people who've, um, many parents who don't co-sleep, many parents who do. So this isn't like, a, there, there aren't hard and fast rules about how you practise this approach. It's really about... Understanding the philosophy and understanding the needs of babies and the feelings of babies, and our, what we can do to respond, and most of all, what we need to do for ourselves in order to be able to do these things. And then we'll all do it in our own way, we'll all practice it. It will look different for each family. So there is no right and wrong. I know we live in a culture that believes there is such a thing in parenting, but it's more about uh, I always think it's a really helpful thing to listen in. When we're listening to any parenting paradigm, and first of all, listening and to connect in with in our bodies, does this resonate with me? Do I feel a yes to this? And then to try out the things that you know, so in this case that we're parenting with babies, try it out, experiment, observe, see what your baby shows you, and then come back again. How am I feeling? What is this still resonating? It's really so much about. Uh, having the information out there but actually then bring it into the relationship mm. and what we resonate with and what we observe in our babies or children
1: mm. i couldn't agree with you more and that's something that i think we both talk about a lot it really is trusting what feels right for you as a family you know i and again i always come back to nobody knows your baby your child better than you do so it really is tuning into does this resonate and feel okay for me so yes i absolutely second that do you want to start marion by talking just about all your beautiful research and you know what you did in your study that really i guess has helped you understand even more around what aware parenting is with, particularly with babies
0: yes yeah, so my um you know, my first lot of years was really based on uh, wanting to understand my own experience because i was a, a premature baby and we, again we've talked about our own stories uh, and our own experiences. And I was in an incubator for the first five weeks of my life. And as a as a child and a teenager, I mean, of course, I didn't start to realize this until I was a teenager, the impact that it ha- had had on me. So I went off and I did a degree in psychology. I really wanted to understand like, why am I the way I am? And how has this impacted me? And I really got into developmental psychology and uh, did a PhD on postnatal depression and The relationship between mothers and babies. Uh, And at the same time, I trained as a psychotherapist because I wanted to dive in deep. And I really, again, uh, focused a lot on what is it, what are the developmental needs of a baby, what what is happening psychologically in those first few years, Uh, how are we impacted by our time uh, in the womb and our birth and our early experiences, especially those first three or four years. And for my phd what i did was uh actually going to the hospital the um maternity ward and chatting to loads and loads of mums so this is me as a like a how old was i 20 22 23 24 it was so amazing such a wonderful experience and then going and interviewing them and going to their homes and videoing them with their babies and then uh going back into the um you know like the I don't know what it was called, the lab, wherever I was, and watching hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of the mothers and babies interacting and slowing it right down to millisecond by millisecond. So um, I think what that gave me, along with... uh, when I was at Cambridge, when I was, where I was doing my PhD, there was a little bookshop. I always remember this experience of going this little old bookshop, you know, those little dusty old musty old bookshops and finding a secondhand copy of the Continuum concept. So I, what I really loved is there was this combination of... Um, this really academic study in a really academic environment, but then looking at, at babies and relationships, mothers and babies, and then reading this book about the continuum concept, starting to understand more indigenous cultures and what we would have experienced, you know, before colonization, and starting to bring all of these things together, and um, it really helped me understand my own experience as a baby and. I was also training and then working as a psychotherapist. So I had, I often tell the story, I had 10 years of therapy before becoming a mum. And I really needed that. You know, as you say, you now you're 25. If I had become a mum at 25, there was no way I could have done what I did at. 33 you know it's just it just would not have been possible um and despite the 10 years of therapy and the you know all that expertise in observing babies cues and understanding mothers and babies and all you know I'd spent so much I'd done other trainings as <laughs> well you know I did so much it was still a really really massive thing you know for the first three months with Lana I did all the attachment stuff from, you know, we had a beautiful birth because I'd done, you know, it, it, that was all gorgeous. But to actually think that she might have some feelings to express, I we had this beautiful birth and you know i've done all this stuff and um, yes i know i read the "Where baby when i was pregnant i know it resonated with all the research and all the therapy and all the things but i'm sure my daughter does not have any feelings because i'm just doing everything that was kind of where i was coming from so i think that really what why i like to share that story is the hugeness of what we are doing if we actually do start to think about listening to babies' feelings, you know, that with all that, that I had as a, as a backdrop, I was very resourced all those years of therapy. I felt really emotionally resourced because I'd been listened to a lot. Uh, And still it was a really, really big thing. So I'm always in awe of anyone who kind of comes in, you know, without having done all that stuff and goes, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to listen to my baby's feelings. I'm going to differentiate between when they're crying to meet a need for hunger or for closeness, all the wonderful things they do. And when they're actually crying to tell me about their birth experience or the the big day out, you know, for babies is so much overwhelm and overstimulation. Even if we're not doing very much, because it's so new for them. So I'm always in awe of of anyone anyone who um,
1: has a go at this, really, because it's a massive thing. <laughs> it's so easy, isn't it? And I, I love um oh, I love I love hearing that story again and again. And I just so love all the research and work you did to get to where you are. You know, I love the, that that you know for people definitely who really value you know research and study as well because it's really important i love the science and the understanding that you've brought to to this piece whereas i come from the oh i kind of felt good let's give it a go <laughs> and anybody who's been, listening... do things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's been listening to things isn't it oh you a school <laughs> oh, anyone who's been listening to us for a while will know that marion does the research and the study and i just go oh yeah Let's try, let's try this, <laughs> which is so funny, isn't it? Um, I, but what I wanted to to talk about from that point, which I love, 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 love when you're talking about my baby might have feelings. And I think for a lot of people, that's a concept. What do you mean they've got feelings? And I think that's where I really love my piece of the story that came to where parenting is because I did have a quite intense experience with my my third baby when she was born. And you can go back and hear us talk about our births, but you know, she was born not breathing and she was um, resuscitated for nearly 10 minutes. So she spent the first three or four days of her life in in an induced coma. Um, She had more drugs pumped into her than anything. Um, You know, I didn't get to hold her till she was six days old. I didn't get to breastfeed her till she was like seven or eight days old. She was surrounded by machines and really was trying to keep her alive, really. Um, And so when I finally you know, was able to take her home and having had two babies before, I could see the difference in her body. She was really rigid. She would do this kind of thing with her hands where she would just kind of flex and open and close her hands. Like You could see, it was clear to see the stress in her little body. And why wouldn't she have stress, right? When we're babies, we're hardwired for skin on skin, quiet, for all that beautiful oxytocin bonding, for all that gorgeous stuff that we know is super. So super, super important. And for my little bubba, she didn't get any of that and neither did I. And I'm recovering from surgery and she's recovering from this whole thing. We don't know whether she's going to live and just huge, huge, huge story around it. So when I finally did get home and I could see the stress in her body, you know, for me, because I had worked in birth for a long time, I was like, okay, I know the impact of an experience like this. How do we help heal it? And I think that's where, for me, that made sense to me if she would have feelings because we'd had an experience. Um, and therefore I was like, well, how do I help that experience? And that's where we started you know, and I have told this story before, what I did is, you know, I'd make sure that she was fed and she, you know, we, I'd met her needs. So I knew that, that she wasn't hungry or, you know, we were in a quiet space and then I would lay her on my lap and I'd look her into her eyes and I would just say to her, if you want to tell me something, I'm listening. And then she would just start crying and she would move her body and arch her back. And, and sometimes she'd look me deep in the eyes and other times she wouldn't. And sometimes she'd cry for five or 10 minutes. sometimes she'd cry for 40 minutes and sometimes I would cry when we were doing it and but what I began to see was after every time where she'd had a beautiful big release, her body was soft and relaxed. She would look deeply into my eyes and she would sleep, you know, have these beautiful long sleeps and she would wake up really happy and content. And I think because, again, I i was seeing a visible difference from the tension and the stress to a relaxed, calm baby. That was what I, all I needed to go, okay, there's something going on here. And, and I've also shared this too, my, my beautiful cousin's an osteopath. And she does lots of cranial work and she was treating Tali right from the beginning. So as I started to do this releasing and I'd take her back for a session, my cousin would be like, wow, she feels so different. Like, what are you doing? And so she began to see the difference too, you know, from what was happening, which was amazing. And, you know, she works a lot with that, with the babies that she treats now. So for me, I could see the feelings were because of this traumatic birth experience. And I think, Um, you know, then it was also began to, as we shifted and cleared some of that, you know, then she had an older brother and sister who were loud and who would, you know, drag her around the room and just all, all sorts of things that older siblings do when you have two, three, four kids, you know, those little babies are pretty robust because you have older siblings, um, And I began to think, oh, maybe she's got stuff to tell me about that. So she doesn't like being dragged around the room by the four-year-old. And then if people were coming over and it was too noisy or there was too much action going on, I would begin to see the tension again and think, ah, she needs a release. And then I began to observe and watch, you know, when there were feelings there, she wouldn't breastfeed. She would get onto the boob and she would fuss or she would pull off and she just wouldn't have a good feed. Yet when she had had a good release, she would feed really easily and simply and so I began to see the evidence for myself of what this shifting and change was and I think as I began to see it it just made so much sense to me and I was just like of course babies have feelings because you know they're in this beautiful womb I mean and that I wasn't even going into what happens when they're in the womb right and there's again a lot of beautiful research there around you know that that environment in the womb and when there's stress for the mother and, you know, epigenetics, when you look into that, that the baby can carry that. So, you know, just even the day to day living of being a little baby, you know, who was once in this place where they had all their needs met, you know, warmth and food on tap and all that stuff was now in the world where it was bright and there was noises and they just discovered they have hands and that's really full on. (laughs) Just like every little bit and piece of development, of course, would be creating Something that they would probably need to express about. And for me, I began to really get, ah, this is the equivalent of them saying, I don't like it when Kai drags me around the room like that. And, you know, when Aunt Jackie held me, you know, she smelled funny and I didn't like that either. And, you know, and her crying was on some level telling me about what was feeling hard for her. And I think as I began to listen, you know, often I would sit there holding her, going, yes, and and tell yes and what else? And I would I would be having a dialogue with her because she was telling me about what was going on. And I think for me, that really helped me make sense from, you know, who hadn't done any of the research and understanding, but somewhere in my gut was like, yes, this makes a lot of sense to me. And then I began to see so much of the beautiful evidence of when she did have a release, you know, how she was in her sense of being. So, you know, I I think I had to find my way experientially to just go, yes, okay, I can see what that looks like. And, you know, and I think that's where whenever I'm working with mums, I'm always like, just go gently and slowly and observe and see how that feels for you. You know, and, and like we've talked about, there's many aspects where we can see where, where babies might have feelings, you know, if the baby won't feed. So perhaps maybe just hold them in your arms lovingly and just, you know, give them permission to have a cry. And even if that's five or 10 minutes and they've had a good cry, then see how they are. Then maybe they might feed, you know, um, in a more relaxed state. Or So I think, there's many, many gentle ways we can begin this journey. And and you know, I share that story with people to just, like you said, to really tune into and feel, does this feel right? What am I observing? What am I seeing? You know, what um what feels like what I can handle or hold at this time?
0: Mm, I love all of that, Lal.
1: It's such a wonderful thing about aware parenting,
0: isn't it? And particularly with younger children, but all ages really, it's just it's so clear, like the proof is in the pudding. And that's the uh, the wonderful thing I remember in early years, I always used to say to people, oh, yes, read Alita's amazing books and, you know, come to have sessions and all the things, but really the most important thing is to observe and keep on observing. And it's there that we get the reassurance because it is such a, a big thing and so different to our culture, which is really held... You know, up until recently, well, that babies don't, you know, aren't really conscious, don't have any feelings. To then, of course, the wonderful um, understanding that babies have needs, and you know, lots of really important needs. To then the belief that all, um, all feelings indicate unmet needs. You know, this is a massive shift, and getting that reassurance through really seeing those observable differences is is huge isn't it
1: Mm. and i really remember
0: that with um with my daughter as well at, at three months where i was you know everything was wonderful and she looked so happy um but i started to also observe things so i started to observe even though her tummy was getting bigger that she was feeding more and more often and she was starting to throw up more and more often, which, you know, I'm sure we could have diagnosed that as something. And you know, I'm not saying there aren't lots of things that can happen with baby's digestive systems, but she was also starting to get more tense and agitated in her body. She was um, you know, just in her sleep. She was not as calm and relaxed. She wasn't making as much eye contact. She just didn't seem as happy. There wasn't so much kind of smiling. And it's then I realized, ah, actually, all those times where I've been, you know feeding her on and off you know all evening or <laughs> bouncing on the ball we had one of those fit balls were all the rage at the time <laughs> lots mm. of bouncing mm, maybe she actually has some feelings that to to express and to really understand that unless a baby's had a lot of trauma it's often actually really hard, uh, really easy to suppress a baby's feelings all the ways mm. that we uh, are really normal in our culture the jiggling, the bouncing, the feeding, the, you know, just, you know, movement in general, sucking, thumb mm-hmm. sucking, dummies, pacifiers. These are all ways from the where parenting perspective that we are stopping a baby from actually telling us about their feelings. And again, so normal and natural for us to be doing this in this culture. <laughs> we did it. Um, but to understand that is another option and that, uh, by instead of moving, instead of doing all those things to actually see if we can feel calm and relaxed in our bodies enough to say, I'm going to listen exactly as you did. And I remember also that first time with my daughter and and having fed her on and off hours as usual in the evening, I said, I really don't think you're hungry now. And actually just sat really still and listened to her. And I think it was about you know, 45 minutes of a really big cry. And again, just seeing afterwards that this quality of presence that came into the room and how relaxed she felt in her body and um, that the eye contact that was back again. Again, it's those kinds of things, which it's just such clear evidence, isn't it? It's not what you read in a book or a research thing, or you know, what what's going on hormonally or neurochemically. It's actually seeing our babies in that very different state and feeling in our bodies, being able to feel that, how relaxed their muscles are, but not in a kind of giving up way but in a a beautifully soft connected way that molding into our bodies all of those things that Mm. that I would then see and as I know you did hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of times with her and then my son it's just it's just clear as day that it's Mm. that it helps them rather Mm. than rather than is you know hurting them in some
1: way Mm, and I used to use um, the example when I was teaching calm birth because I taught calm birth for a long time and when we talk about babies, I used to talk about, you know, imagine if you've, you know, you've had a hard day and it's been a bit stressful and all those kind of things and you come home and you go to talk to your partner and say, oh, God, this happened and that happened and, and your partner starts jigging you <laughs> up and down or they start waving something in your face or they start trying to shove something in your mouth while, while you're talking. You'd be like, "Hey, stop! I'm just trying to speak, right?" And and a lot of um, my clients would laugh and go, "Yeah, that kind of makes sense." And it's like our, our natural state is to want to be heard. That's who we are. And as adults, we want to be heard. As toddlers, we want to be heard. As teens, we want to be heard. But that also applies to babies as well. And so, again, like I know we we're really reinforcing this. This is after we have met our baby's needs. You know, we want to make sure that your baby's not hungry. Or, you know, they, they, you need to change their nappy or different, you know, they need just comfort or closeness. It's, it's so much about meeting our baby's needs first. And then perhaps tuning in, is there something more? So if they are still, you have fed them and then they are still really unsettled, or you can see they're agitated, or they're not going to sleep. And, you know, we will talk about sleep in a minute, because that's often one of the biggest signs that we see where it can really help that's then that we might be going, oh, perhaps I could just hold them in my arms and listen, give them your loving presence and and listen. And it is still such a foreign concept because we have been so conditioned to soothe at all costs, whatever we can do. And, and I really want to reemphasize too. And if, and if you do those things that it doesn't, it's okay. Like it's, it doesn't matter. It's all right. These is, is just an invitation to think about, you know, and, and I've worked with many parents, as have you, Marion, where it's like, do what feels okay for you. And maybe this will just plant a seed in the back of your mind that maybe on a day where you have tried everything, and even if your baby is crying and nothing's settling them, to be able to just calm yourself and welcome the tears can make such a difference because babies will often feel if that adult, that safe person is saying, yes, you, know, you can bring it. So I used to, you know, sometimes say, look, if your baby's crying and nothing's stopping, then welcome it instead of trying to stop it on some level can make such a difference. And I think that's what I saw between the difference between my first two children and my third is my first two I spent a lot of time trying to stop them crying and with the third I welcomed it and it was just a completely different experience. But, of course, as we say, you know, sitting and listening to those tears can really tap us into some of our own stuff of perhaps when we were a baby we were left alone to cry perhaps we were you know overfed all the time or it was it wasn't okay for us to to cry at all so i think it's really beautiful to be gentle with yourself to just observe how it feels for you when um when your baby cries and if you can hold them in your arms lovingly and and listen
0: yes 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 in fact i I was sharing something on Facebook the other day, and someone said in response, "You know, I so wish I'd had this information when my baby was a baby—that that she'd had a sense of something, something else that she didn't know." And you know, just everyone saying, "No, just you know, just keep doing what you're doing." And 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 how, yeah, she really wished she'd had this information. So I think it's important, isn't it, to get the information to mm. so that more and more people understand that babies do have real feelings as well as needs, what I call needs-based feelings. Mm. I think for me is, you know, when I reflect back on little incubator baby Marion and it's, it's helped me be incredibly sensitive to what babies experience. So just to understand, you know, that we, if we go out and I know at the moment, you might be in lockdown, we might, we might be longing to go out. Um, And I know lots of new parents this in this last year have really missed a lot of that. But to actually understand, you know, if we go out with our baby, or even if we're just in the living room and the phone's going off or the vacuum cleaner or the washing machine, or, you know, just we go out to see some friends, that for a newborn baby, those are really big things. They do not have yet concepts of, oh, that, you know, that's the phone ringing or that's the dog barking. You know, everything is... Um, you know they're really experiencing it directly without any filters so to really understand that they are exquisitely um, feeling and sensing and experiencing so this of course is also if you do have a baby it's also as well as we can listen to their feelings after those experiences, but we can also do whatever we can to, you know, giving giving them this beautiful, gentle environment as well. And that might be reassuring if you have been in lockdown and you haven't been going out as much as you have might have wanted with your baby. To know that, um, even though that can be really hard in some ways, that can be helpful. Uh, beginning to a baby's life to have a lot of time at home and a lot of quiet time and Mm. a lot of connection and skin on skin because Mm. you know they're really they're only really little for quite a short time Mm
1: -hmm. and I'm wondering if Marion you want to talk a little bit about sleep because I know you love talking about sleep but sleep is usually one of the biggest things that parents find challenging particularly with babies and um and I think that's where I love aware parenting so much because, and I love how you talk about the three things we need to go to sleep. So you can roll into that. But I just, you know, I've seen again, from my own experience, how my third child slept so much better because, you know, she didn't have that, that build up of feelings and tensions that were often that were in my older kids' children. So I just used to continuously feed them through the night which meant, you know, they were often agitated. I was not getting any sleep, you know, and it just sleep time. They used to fight going to sleep. It was a battle. It was such a battle. Whereas, when I think I, I learned about aware parenting, it just made sleep it, just not an issue, and it made it move and flow so much easier because I was like oh it's okay for you to have a cry before you go to sleep actually it's super important actually it's really helping you go to sleep and so therefore I welcomed it and, and both my husband would go oh she's tired I think she needs a, a good release before she goes to sleep and one of us would just take her into the room and hold her gently and look her in the eyes and go go for it baby tell us all about it and she'd be crying then she'd just move into the deep you know restful sleep and the times where she didn't it was really clear to see that the difference sometimes so do you want to do you want to talk about that
0: i would love to and i also want to say again to really say we're always talking about when we're talking about babies crying we're always talking about them crying with us in our loving arms especially you know when they're little when they become toddlers they always need our presence they may not always be being held but we're there with them and we're offering that so i really want to to let everyone know that this is completely different from uh, leaving babies alone to cry and uh, it's so important to, to mention that I think you want to say something? Now?
1: Well I just also want to say too, you know, and I think that is something of leaving babies alone to cry, you know, a lot of the research has shown that that creates elevated levels of cortisol, the stress hormone yes. but that is often because there isn't a safe attachment figure with them, helping them, whereas um, you know, Letha Salter talks about this in her book that when a child is with an a safe calm adult um, listening to them cry they don't have those elevated cortisol levels so that's where I think the difference is absolutely I'm so glad you brought that up and that's something that often parents get you know is it going to create more stress and but we see that a lot of that is when children are left alone to cry by themselves and then they often move into that disassociated state and we talk a lot about this in we're parenting about those repression mechanisms that we develop throughout our life that can often start when babies are little when they aren't and they're crying and nobody's coming and no one's helping them, then they learn to just numb out or to switch off, to disassociate and and that's often where those repression mechanisms can begin. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's such an important point here. Again, meeting their needs first and being with them, being present with them. Yeah, so beautiful. And and I
0: also do want to say if you have done controlled crying or cry out or whatever the different terms are nowadays, that it's also, you can also help your baby or child with uh the feelings that they will have around that so again this is not about we invite you to put down the guilt sticks this is actually knowing that whatever your baby or child has experienced that understanding these principles doing our our own inner work and uh you know we can actually help them heal from whatever they've experienced that's the amazing thing about this and i think that's what you know when i was Googling um, parenting whilst I was pregnant with my daughter and I wanted to find something that would fit with all the research and all the pre- and perinatal psychology to actually realize that we don't need to wait until we're teens or adults to to go into therapy or to do one of the amazing healing uh, modalities that are around now, but that we can support our children right from birth to heal exactly as you experienced with your daughter, to heal from not only big traumas like birth trauma but just day-to-day experiences that are you know it's overwhelming that you know life in modern culture is overwhelming and you know every day most babies will have some new feelings to express most small children will have feelings and i think that's what i love about you and i lel is that that deep love and welcoming of these kinds of feelings i call them feelings feelings rather than you know loving needs-based feelings but of course our Aim with the needs based feeling is to promptly meet the need as soon as possible, but to know that there are all these other feelings that are not needs based feelings, and if we try to uh, exactly as you were saying you know if we try to always um, if we 're interpreting all feelings as needs based feelings then we 're going to think that whenever my baby is crying, there is something wrong, and I think that 's what creates so much fear and worry and anxiety in parents rather than understanding that there are these feelings, feelings that really need to be expressed and heard and that make a huge difference to our babies when they're getting to express them exactly as you've shared. Mm. So important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I agree totally. And part of this is learning to... (sighs) to feel into what that is. Like this is, and it is a journey. And and we say this always with aware parenting, this is often the first generation of aware parenting. It's very rare that we come across an adult who was raised with this level of listening and holding. Most of us were either shut down or we were, you know, all the different ways that we talk about of, of stopping us feeling stuff. So of course this is going to feel confronting on some level and it feels challenging and, and, and that's where I always, you know, we both say this, go so gently, just be curious, just observe for a bit, maybe try it for five minutes, see how you feel. If it doesn't feel okay, then that's okay. And like, just, it is so much about going super gently with ourselves and then, you know, tuning into our babies. I mean, I must say too, oh, we're going to come back to sleep in a minute because I'm wondering if people are seeing, they're going, Hey, I'm going go to sleep it. Go to sleep it. Um, but I must say, um, From doing this with with Tali, my, my youngest, from when she was a baby, what I found is the more I listened to her feelings, again, after meeting her needs and then listened to her feelings, the more deeply attuned I felt to her. It was like I could almost feel exactly what she was maybe, you know, releasing about. There was a different attunement that I felt and it felt like the greatest level of intimacy that I could have with another human, which is what it is like. And we would notice as adults when somebody sits with us and they cry and they share their vulnerabilities and you hold that space for them, that is intimacy. That is deep intimacy. And whether we do that with our partner, with a friend, with a child, but with a baby as well, it is just such a deep imprint of trust and holding. And I think that's what I experienced with Tali that made me go, oh this this is this is what this magic is about, and then, from there, I went, okay, I've got a bit of catch up to do with my older kids and so then you know, I started listening to their feelings what age they were, and again, I found as we've shared it was never too late because we just started from there. And, and I've shared this before, there was a bit of a backlog of feelings. So there was a lot of a lot of anger and tears that came out for a while there. But I began to see and give them permission to just work through, I'm on board, guys, so whatever you want to bring, bring <laughs> to the party. And they would and we worked through lots and lots of stuff. But I think coming back to us as humans, you know, one of the most incredible um, what's the word? Um, Not opportunities, but one of the most beautiful gifts that we can receive is to hold space for somebody's vulnerabilities and somebody's feelings. And I felt like that as a mother, that when I'd be like, tell me all about it. And I'm here that it just brought this incredible connection and intimacy that was just used to blow me away was amazing.
0: Mm, I'm so with you, Lel. I'm, I'm having—I had tingles when you were sharing that, and uh, just having all the the memories pop up of those experiences with my lovelies as well. It's, mm. to me, it's like the most profound honor, isn't it? Because it's like seeing yes. inside someone's soul. I, I remember all those hours yes. of listening to them and their deepest, deepest frustration and confusion and overwhelm and and rage and to actually be there with them in those places and it's the most profound and wondrous thing actually some of my um sounds a bit odd but some of my most wondrous parenting experiences to actually sit with them and hold them and love them and be there and be there and be there and and love them unconditionally in those in the deepest darkest places inside themselves i mean what an amazing thing and I think I love what you said is like and even if we only do this a tiny bit that that is and to use your word it's an imprint you know that someone even if our babies experience once being heard and really deeply being heard or our five-year-old or two you know, or whatever age they are that profoundly changes everything like that that uh is possible and that can happen it's an incredible thing isn't it really isn't
1: it and I and I would love on the back of that to come back to Just right now as you're listening, think about when you are sad or you're angry or you're upset or you're in fear, what is it that you want from another human? Do you want someone to sit there and fix you? (laughs) Do you want someone to tell you how you can make it better? Do you want someone to give you all the reasons why you shouldn't be feeling like that? No, most of us what we want is someone to sit there with so much compassion and empathy and say, oh, I hear you that sounds hard to tell me more. Like that's what we all deeply want as humans is to be seen and heard and held in that way. And, you know, I guess that's where we both sit in this place of, and that is also for babies as well, not just toddlers or school kids or adults. That's all of us as humans, that, that reverence of holding that I see where you are, you know, that is to me, Um, One of the greatest gifts that we can experience as a human. So,
0: yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. (laughs) I can't wait to have grandbabies. (laughs) I've still got a while to go yet, but I'm like, oh, and you know what it is even I say too, when you raise your children like this, like that's their natural default. Like, you know, they just can see that they can see that in other humans and little people or they need a good cry or just, you know, that's what I recognize too. Like I had you know, at Christmas we had, you know, lots of little kids around and, um, you know, my, my son at one point was just like, oh, Like my, you know, five-year-old nephew, oh, he looks like he needs a a good release. You know, and I love that my 20-year-old son could see that because it was an overwhelming day with lots of people there and all those kind of things. And I love that that's what he could recognise is what was needed because he knows what that feels like. So that's so beautiful. Okay, let's go back to the sleep thing. Oh, I want to say one more thing. One more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, going back to what you said about us,
0: most of us being first-generation aware parents, parenting, practising persons, And I, you know, I know for me, listening particularly to my daughter, when it was all so new, I had that, you know, I was, I was kind of, you know, there was an intensity to it because I was really wanting to do it. And I remember, you know, not only when she was four and a half and her brother was born that, you know, of course we didn't leave her alone to listen to him crying, but she would want to hold him while he was having a cry. And, and, you know, I'd be right there. We would be right there with her. And then when she was 10 and, um, Uh, her dad's uh, and his partner had twins she would uh, hold the twins and listen to them in such a like um it's just so natural it's so nice kind of a different thing like next generation it's so embodied the experience like um you know when we actually experience it ourselves to actually then do that and i remember so often people kind of coming along and almost you know not not um not Michael and Ruth, but other people who didn't really know where parents would kind of come and almost take one of the twins out of her arms to say, you know, come on, you're not stopping them from crying. But well, she just felt so relaxed and comfortable mm. with their feelings. It was, it was mm. so beautiful to see that embodied experience. And I think what I like to do is to say to parents who are wanting to practice aware parenting, um, I think so often we can have these expectations that we're going to listen to hundred percent of our baby's feelings. And I know I came in with that. I was like, yeah, you know, it's a hundred percent. They're going to have no control patterns or no repression or suppression mechanisms. And, um, and it soon, I soon realized that, I, that that was not possible for me. And I think it's really important to really hold that, that. Um, and I also hear lots of people saying, but you know, I've listened to my, child's feelings and they're still doing x y and z is to know this isn't like a all or nothing thing that we might we might even resonate with it a little bit there might be people out there going well maybe if i can you know my baby's crying and i can't do anything else to stop them now i would listen or there might be there's like a spectrum from the other end to you know i want to listen 100 you know i'm right in i'm gonna read all the books And we all sit somewhere different on that spectrum and we will change at different times in our lives, depending on what's going on for us and, you know, our own development and that, that, that will have an impact. And so also the percentage of feelings that are still sitting in our baby's body will have an impact on all of these things, their, their eye contact, their level of relaxation in their muscles, um, how they are when they're sleeping. Going to sleep, which <laughs> we are going to talk about in a minute, so um it's not an all or nothing thing. there is no right or wrong. This is about seeing where you resonate the listeners with this, and you know finding yourself where you sit on that and knowing that you can move, you can play with things, you can try things out, you can get more into it. you can try it out and go no, that didn't actually resonate for me after all. there's you know it's like really
1: finding our own um, place where we each sit with this so. True. I love that. And as you're talking, I'm remembering there were times when Tali was little and I just didn't have it in me to listen. I could see that she probably needed a release. So I was like, no, nah, I'm just gonna try and give you boob. <laughs> like we just beat her or or distract or do something because I was like, yeah, no, nah, I just didn't have the capacity to hold space to listen. And and we've talked about this in our podcast. And that wasn't just with babies, that's been with my kids as toddlers and older kids as well you know there's times where we're like I've got nothing left here to hold that space for you so I'm just not going to and that's okay it's so okay we don't have to do it all the time like as you say if a, a child or a baby at least once in their life has been held lovingly then they are a really lucky little person so if you listen to some feelings once a week that's amazing like it's it's it, it isn't um You know, I really love that you said that and I hope everybody hears that. There is no pressure and there is no right within this. It is absolutely following and feeling into what what works for you. Yeah, and I would love to add to that, Laila. I think it can also be
0: really helpful to hold in mind, even if we understand our baby has feelings and we don't have capacity to listen. You know, I used to say things to my babies like, I don't know, say if I was going to go to a mother's group, you know, I might might give them some... um, what I used to call present time. So I might before going out, as she say, I'm here, I'm listening. Would you like to share some feelings? So they'd be more likely to not need to cry while we were out. But if, if I was in a mother's group and I really wanted to hang out there and, and be able to hear, I would just, you know, whisper sweet. Yeah, I know you need to cry, but I'm going to feed you now and I'm I'm going to listen later. You know, I think there's something about even just mirroring accurately, or even sometimes accurately, that to their ba- to our babies that we know they're upset, but we're going to feed them or jiggle them or put them in the stroller or the carrier or the car, whatever it is that we might do to to help them bypass those feelings. That I, I believe that they get when we get them. And I think actually just understanding this, and we've talked about this before too, in terms of control patterns, you know, that if our baby is sucking their thumb or, um, you know, even that we know that those are feelings sitting in there and we understand that, that makes a difference for them, I believe. So it's not mm. nec- it's not all about the listening. It's actually about understanding them and having that felt sense that we understand them and then really uh, feeling that. Mm. Mm, I love that. I love that. All right, sleep. let's talk a bit about sleep. <laughs> sleep, okay. So I know I love lists of three, so I want to give two lists of three here. So the first list of three is there are often three broad ways of looking at sleep and babies and children as well. Um, and of course, again, there's no, this isn't like, you know, you have to put yourself in one category. This is just a way of understanding things that, you know, we're human and we don't fit into boxes. But so one one way of looking at it is that for the first three or so years that basically you you just have to put up with your baby waking up lots or your child and that's just part of how it is and that's just you know just put up with it or the the kind of more other approach would be to help um, babies to find ways of sleeping through the night with something else so that may be with a, a dummy or a pacifier maybe through control crying and cry out but it's finding some way of them sleeping earlier through the night with something else so those are kind of two of the broad ranges and again it's not hard or fast rules or categories and then there's this third way so where parenting is the third way so it's the understanding that babies can be securely attached so we can meet their attachment needs and they can actually sleep and sleep in a settled way and actually sleep um, you know, without waking up a lot and not a lot of times. You know, from from about six to nine months onwards, that that is there is another way of understanding what's happening there. So the second of the three is that there are three things that we all need um, for relaxed, truly relaxed sleep, and that is to feel tired. That's an obvious one. To feel connected and to feel relaxed. So if we think about that for babies, the the first one is like obvious. Most people will go, you know, you see a baby crying or they're rubbing their eyes or they get that little red look around their eyes. So we're we're watching for their tired cues. The The second thing is that they feel connected. So, again, this means that even if you are not co-sleeping, that you that we provide that sense of connection um, before they go to sleep and whilst they're going to sleep. That it's it's. Um, if you think about it in terms of our long history as human beings, it's only very recently that we lived in we live in houses and, you know, it's quite normal for babies to have nurseries before that, um, you know, we we all lived in clans. And if there was a, a baby on its own at night, that was really not safe. That's not a safe thing. Um, you know, their cave bears and things around. So it's really, I think, an intrinsic need for babies to want to feel that closeness while they're going to sleep. It's like they're it signals to their body that it's safe to go into that unconscious state because they are being protected. Um, and the third thing is to feel relaxed. Now, what that often means in most other paradigms is that we think we need to do stuff to help our babies feel relaxed. So that's where all the rocking and the jiggling and the feeding and all the stuff, the bouncing and the ball that we we did a million times in this first three months. We think we need to do stuff to them to make them feel relaxed rather than really trusting that babies are incredibly wise beings and they have these innate um, capacities, these uh, ways to feel relaxed, these relaxation mechanisms um, inbuilt within them, which means that um, of course we may want to do things. We may want to create a you know a quieter environment or a, a darker room or all of those kinds of things. But if we are if we're observing our baby is tired and we're holding them and you know we've done those things and our baby's still not going to sleep, it usually means that they're not actually feeling relaxed enough. And so the option is if we are feeling resourced and we understand that babies have real feelings, instead of the jiggling and the rocking and the feeding and all the million other one things we can do is actually to get really still and calm in ourselves and exactly as we've talked about this whole podcast and actually say, I'm here, I'm listening. Would you like to tell me how you're feeling? And to actually support them. And what will often happen with babies is that the feelings will start off maybe a little bit quieter and they maybe get really intense and that's often where people get really... Worried or concerned, and of course, if you are ever concerned that there's something wrong with your baby, it's always so important to to listen to that. Don't just ignore that and go, oh, I'm sure they're fine. Like, because if we're scared and our baby's crying, our baby will pick up that fear. So, it's much better to help support us so that we get to that point that we feel confident that they're not hungry and that you know they're not in pain or any of those other things. Um, and what happens is when we support a baby by just that natural relaxation mechanism, which is often called the witching hour, you know, which is often shows up as, uh, you know, if we've often fed them in the evening when they seem to just want to feed more and more and more times, it's actually to understand that they're trying to express these feelings. They want to let the feelings out at the end of the day. So those, all those stress hormones, all the all, all the stress hormones that come out through tears, all the physical tension that comes out through uh, through moving their arms and their legs that's literally physiologically stored in their bodies gets to be released so that they then come out the other side and they feel relaxed in their bodies so they then have the they have the tie they have the connected and they also have the relaxed and that is what supports then babies to be able to sleep in a restful way without being really tense having little tense fists or moving around a lot in their sleep you know that they feel really relaxed in their bodies and they're able to sleep uh you know depending on the percentage of feelings that we have listened to the the bigger the percentage we've listened to the more they're able to sleep until they actually feel hungry rather than they're waking up to uh, to express the feelings and what often happens is if we don't understand this or we don't have the capacity and we do all those other things, the feeding, the the jiggling, the rocking, the bouncing, the dummy, the the thumb, that what will often happen is that uh, depending on the amount of feelings stored there, that they'll come out of a sleep cycle, they'll come into lighter consciousness and those feelings are still there. Hey, presto, ready to be expressed. So they will wake up to try and express the feelings. And that's where we often will do the thing that we did at the beginning. And then we'll think that that's the thing that's needed. And often then the pattern is that they will start to maybe wake up more and more throughout the night. So it might be, you know, four hours and then it might be two hours and then every one hour. So again, that's an, another symptom or a sign that we can see if the waking gets more and more frequent, that it's probably feelings that are waking them up rather than something else. Yeah. So it's really, again, this amazing observational lens that we can really support babies. And what I love is, you know, for me, um, sleep was really easy for us. And, you know, so whenever I hear parents talk about, you know, having years of like broken sleep and waking up every, you know, whatever, two hours or something, I just you know, my heart goes out to you because, you know, parenting is big enough. as <laughs> it is. It asks of us so much, but to have that on top, I think that's really hard. And I know for me, it made a huge difference that just sleep was really um, just kind of almost a non-issue in our family. Mm. We did a lot of listening to feelings every night before bed, but it just meant that they were relaxed when they slept. They slept calmly and peacefully. They woke up happy. You know, it was, mm. It's a yummy thing
1: mm, that was such a beautiful explanation, thank you, and it, and it makes me think you know we 've done podcasts on this too, when we 've talked about toddlers particularly not wanting to go to bed or you know taking an hour to fall asleep and we 've talked about that model of three of you know that that they 're tired and offering that connection and safety for them to fall asleep and then toddlers needing to have often a big cry before they go to bed to just move the tension of the day or whatever 's gone on, and then they often will. Fall asleep, and so yeah, it's the same applies to babies, and not so much, you know, with school aged children. But can be there and teenagers, you know, they've got different needs that helps them unpack whatever's going on, and maybe that's words, and maybe that's talking, and you know, any parent of a teenager or older child will tell you when they go and say good night, then the child goes, "Hey," and then starts wanting to talk about something for a good half an hour at ten thirty at night, which is awesome because you wanted them to share, but you're like, "Oh God, could we go?" You know, because they're like, "Hey, I need." need to get this off my chest and I need to understand this before I actually go to sleep. So, you know, it's, it's so ingrained in us, isn't it? To, to move whatever's there so we can sleep better. So I love that explanation as well, you know, in regards to babies so yes Yes, another thing that can be really helpful if we're looking
0: at naps as well and that can also show up there so like for example if a baby wakes up after a nap and is always crying that can often be you know our feelings are most accessible and this is actually for us for all ages just before we go to sleep and just on waking i see it as like we're you know we're we're moving in, in out of that different state of consciousness we're quite close to our unconscious mind it's like that's where the healing wants to happen and it's that's exactly the same what i love about this model it's the same for us you know i'm sure um, those of you listening have probably experienced at times where you find it hard to you you're you're stressed about something you're feeling stressed stress is in your body feeling tense and agitated (laughs) they'll just yawn take ages to go to sleep wake up in the middle of the night and then you wake up at 4am or 5am so similar thing you know this idea that babies will always have to wake up at first light or 4am it's it's not necessary is it's all part of this model it just makes sense doesn't it as humans that of course if we feel tense in our bodies sleep is like the the most profound place where that shows up so the other thing that can happen is as if you start listening to feelings and it's a new thing, you might start seeing other things shifting first and sleep. Sleep can sometimes be a little bit later down the track because it, how we sleep so clearly reflects the state of our psyche, how our, how our feelings are in our body, how many feelings we have, how tense mm. or relaxed we are. It's it's almost like a deep barometer for what's mm. actually really going on for us emotionally, whether we're babies or toddlers or seven or 15 or whatever age 29 56 <laughs> yes
1: it's so true isn't it and there's a whole industry out there on helping us sleep and tablets and god knows what and really i mean that we often say that the answer to everything is we all just probably need to cry more
0: <laughs> we have more connection when we're crying so it's also really interesting when we think about this if any if, I, if, if you're listening do you want to have a think what do you do when you go to sleep because again the same happens for us you know this tired connected relaxed if we're not feeling connected we're feeling tired but we're not feeling connected and we've got feelings that's often where we'll need to read before bed or we'll need in a vertical must to you know watch a movie or you know look on instagram what do you what do you also do the first thing on waking those are often the things that we're doing because we're actually not getting the connection that we're needing and because we're not getting to express the feelings that are bubbling up at those points in the day. Mm,
1: Yeah, beautiful point, beautiful point. I could okay me, just talk
0: over me now stop me because i'm gonna no, be- i know i know <laughs> well
1: this is a beautiful segue because i you know we often talk about this like you know you are so deeply attuned to babies and that beautiful world and you know for me my beautiful world of teenagers <laughs> that i absolutely love and feel attuned to them so this is so your divine wheelhouse and and so i'm going to say Marion has an amazing course on babies <laughs> that if you're listening to this and you want to learn more or you want some support and guidance and go and have a look on marion's website we'll put it in our show notes so that you can go and have a look at her course because it's um it's just such a magnificent support to understand this even more
0: mm, thank you and i'd really love to acknowledge that's that is a course with uh, my dear friend and colleague helena mooney and i also have a little um i have parenting aware parenting babies q a vault so it's kind of more a dip your toes in thing first mm, then beautiful and then
1: big big course after that yep. awesome Thank
0: you, Lale, Thank you. Yeah,
1: for that hug. No, it's good. <laughs> well, you know, you are the master of it for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. Like, it's funny when people do ask me about babies, I often send them to Helena. <laughs> go, go and see Helena because she'll, because it's not so much where I work with anymore. But yes, that makes such a difference. And of course, the Aware Baby book by Lisa Salter is yes. just so profound and amazing to, um, to read. So if you can access that, that can, again, be a wonderful support. And there's lots of support groups out there, you know, on Facebook, there's lots of support groups around where parenting that if this, you know, this aligns with you, or you're really curious, and you'd like to know more, we so often need the support to do this. Because again, we live in a culture in a world that's like, we must stop crying at all costs. And so, you know, I, I found that, you know, for me, when I did start, and I've shared this story, Doing the crying with Tali, I I said to my best friend, you need to read this book and start doing it because I need someone to talk to. And so she did. And so we became each other's just support people around what we would see and observe. And and I really see that that we need that community or others who've been there before or who we can share how this feels with it because it is such a huge leap and shift from you know where our world sits when it comes to feelings and the whole kind of behaviourism paradigm so so, I really encourage you to reach out and get some support if if it does resonate with you and you would like you know to just see how that feels for you, then the support of others can make such a big difference in doing it. It's almost essential, isn't it? It's like yeah. I think especially with babies like to actually be able to to
0: really listen to your baby's feelings without getting any support or listening ourselves. I would say it's almost impossible. Yeah, It is totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, what's your, what's your offering you want to offer everybody around this beautiful topic of babies? I wonder if you imagine
0: being a baby and even just for like, not for long, just for maybe like 30 seconds to feel into imagining how what your life would have been like if you'd if your parents had been really comfortable with listening to your feelings just just a little dip just a dip of toe in what do you think that what impact would that have had on you Mm,
1: that's so lovely I was about to say Just imagine if you were a baby and what what you would want if you felt upset, if you'd been fed but you felt a bit agitated, you know, what would you want in those moments? Um, So I was going to say the same thing as well, is to feel that. And I guess uh, my other part to that is I just – we invite everybody to have deep, deep compassion for wherever they are, with their baby, with their child, toddler, whatever, wherever you are in your parenting journeys. You know, again, we always talk about all of this is an invitation and, and we don't, you know, we encourage you to just be kind and gentle to yourself no matter where you sit on the scale of how this lands for you, Um, because we are all doing the best job. We know how, and again, coming back to that deep compassion for ourselves, particularly from our own upbringings and, and the world we live in, you know, we have to be super, super kind and gentle to ourselves, no matter where we sit with, with this. So yeah, I'm offering an invitation for more compassion for ourselves yay i second that one (laughs) Mm, yeah beautiful beautiful oh what a gorgeous discussion to get back into it so we're going to do a few more kind of part twos aren't we as we um as we go through this year as well as our q and a's and some other beautiful topics so you know some of our more popular podcasts we're going to revisit and bring some other elements to it because um you know i think there's lots to share around all that so we look forward to the next one yay thank you thank you
0: do you want to also share about your next immersion
1: Oh, yes, I've got an immersion starting on um, February the 15th. So depending on when you're listening to this, and this is for um, parents who would like to explore more around their own imprints from their childhood and how that turns up in their parenting. So we're looking at it through an aware parenting lens. We're going through all the kind of basics of aware parenting with you know all the tools we use. But it's um you get access to me for the eight weeks. There's a beautiful workbook. It's a gorgeous group and you know it really is allowing you to dive a bit deeper into your belief systems and stories around how you were raised and how that might turn up with your parenting. So that starts on the 15th of Feb if anybody's interested. Yay, Yay. Mm. Well thank you everybody for being here. here. Yes, we we love it if you share our podcast or feel free to leave us a um review. We love we love receiving those as well. Mm. And thank you for being here. Mm. Thank you so much for listening and so much love to you also for
0: however you're feeling after that. And that can be big. So you may also want to go and talk to a friend or do some journaling or connecting. It can it can help us connect with feelings. So sending you lots of love in the Mm. the, right in this moment and Mm -hmm. so much love to you. Hi.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marianrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.